Jesus is being nailed to the cross by the very people he is begging God for. See, there is no other place in the world that you will find a love like that. Jesus, the perfect son of God who did nothing but love, did nothing but heal, did nothing but care for everybody. The perfect son of God dies a death that he does not deserve, gets crucified that we're all familiar with. The most humiliating way to die. Only to ask for their forgiveness. See, some people think that we've done too much in our past to be forgiven from God. You hear it all the time. My life is too messed up for God to forgive me. I'm addicted to X, Y, and Z. I watch too much of X, Y, and Z. God, I struggle with this. God would never love a person like me. God can never love a person like me. If God is for, God is for all the people who are perfect, or God is for the goody-goody people. I'm not that person. I have hatred in my heart for my family. I don't like some of the people in my, who I work with. I don't like some of the, my, my parents. Whatever the case it is, we think that our sin is too deep for God to forgive us. God can't forgive me because of whatever reason. What an audacious statement. The audacity to say something like that. Jesus is on the cross currently being killed by individual people, and he says, God, forgive these men. They are killing me. See, the crazy part is none of us in the room have actually nailed Jesus to the cross. We weren't there for that. We didn't do that. Jesus is being killed by these people, and he wants to forgive them. It's hard as burden to forgive them. The audacious statement of, I have done too much for God to forgive me, is wild. See, none of us in the room literally killed Jesus. None of us put the nails in his hands. But all of us in the room are a part of the reason he was nailed. To the cross. All of us in the room do contribute to Jesus being hung on that cross. All of our personal sin is the reason he had to endure the cross. The craziest thing to think about is that although that is true, God still wants to forgive us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Forgive them for they know not what they do. And Jesus says right now, you can turn to me. Although you live a life of, of sin, you have not followed me at all throughout your life. You've done whatever you think is too bad. Right now, Jesus says you can find forgiveness if you turn to me, if you follow me. See, at the time, they were killing Jesus, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But we look back at that, and now we stand without excuse. We stand without excuse because we know what we're doing. Don't you know that all of our current sin is what nailed Jesus to that cross? Me continuing to live all of us continuing to live casually in our sin 
is me looking at the cross and mocking Jesus. If I live in my sin casually, that's like me standing at the foot of the cross with a bag of popcorn in my hand, waiting for Jesus to do something else. That's like me looking at the cross saying, thanks, but no thanks. That's the very thing that Jesus had to die for as our sin. He says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. We are to respond in repentance, turning from that sin and following Jesus. We all have gunk in our life. Some may be worse than others from a worldly perspective. Everybody has gunk in their life, but that's the beauty of the cross is that Jesus begs for us to be forgiven and live a full life with him. God says, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then moments later, we see in Mark 15, my God, my God, Jesus is crying out, why have you forsaken me? Since the beginning of time, even before heaven and earth were created, the only thing that was in existence was the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All three were existing together before anything was created in perfect unity. Then God created the heavens, the earth, and everything in it. God spoke it into existence. And when that happened, the Trinity was still in perfect unity. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus became human. Jesus came to that which was his own, yet his own did not receive him. People didn't understand. People misunderstood Jesus. People looked at him and he was saying, I am God. I'm the son of God. And they're like, no, you're not. Jesus was misunderstood. People looked Jesus in the face and said, you can't be the son of God. Isn't this guy born from Nazareth? Nothing good comes from Nazareth. For the first time ever, Jesus was misunderstood. Before that perfect unity, for eternity with the Father, Jesus enters into humanity and is misunderstood by people. And even when Jesus embraced humanity in the midst of people not understanding him, he would daily go off and get time alone with God. Daily go off and get that time. Why? Because he was still in that perfect unity with the Father. Jesus was fully God. But that's why you see him withdraw so often because he needed to, in my own words, he was homesick. I miss heaven. The crazy thing is all of us in the room, we know what it's like to be separated from God, right? Everybody has sin in their life. Only thing that sin does is it pushes us away from, from God's holiness and God's true character. That's what sin does. We're born into a sinful nature, so we all know what it's like to not be in unity with God. We know what it's like to be separate. We all know what it's like to be lonely, feel alone, empty, unsatisfied, to be broken. That's because of our sinful nature. We know what that's like. But the wild thing is Jesus has no clue what that is like. Never. He never sinned. Right, we know, we know when we feel that God is upset with us because we're not doing what we're supposed to do, that conviction that we feel, Jesus never felt that. From beginning, from all eternity up until this very moment was Jesus always in perfect unity with the Father. And then you see at the cross, 
This is what Jesus yells out. This is what he cries out at the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The first moment that Jesus is not in perfect unity with the Father. At the cross, when God turns his back on him, Jesus, for the first time, is lonely, sitting up there. What is going on? God, where are you? What is this I'm experiencing? This easily, I mean, everything that Jesus endured with the cross, this easily had to be the most painful experience. Everything physical, you don't see Jesus crying out. You don't see him complaining. You don't see anything. He doesn't wince. He continues forward, persevering forward. All the physical, being stabbed, being flogged in the street, getting a crown of thorn on his head. He doesn't say anything like a lamb led to the slaughter. But then when God turns his back on him, he cries out, why have you forsaken me? God, where did you go? See, our frame of reference for what it means to be sad, for what it means to be depressed, for what it means to be hurt in pain, we can all think about a time in our life where that was true. But I want us to think Jesus felt that but seven billion times over. Jesus died and more than that. We can't fathom what Jesus experienced on the cross that day. Jesus took the sin, the pain, the brokenness, the hurt of the world that day on the cross. God turned his back on his son, and Jesus had never experienced anything like that. But because Jesus endured God's full wrath, we can now... We can now have the same communion that Jesus had with the Father. See, I couldn't do it once before because my sin was separating me from, from God's love. I, it was unable to happen. It couldn't happen. I was sinful. We, we all were sinful. There was no way we could get to God because of our sin. But when God turned his back and poured out his wrath on Jesus at the cross, that was also God saying, I'm going to redeem your soul if you're going to follow me. If you follow my son, God turned his back on Jesus, and in a way, he opened his arms to us. The unity that Jesus experienced for all of eternity, knowing God and being understood by God. At the cross, when he was forsaken and God turned his back on him, that was God saying he will never turn his back on us. That was our punishment that we deserved, that Jesus paid. God allows us in his grace to participate in the rich, sweet fellowship because he turned his back on his son and he opened his arms to all of us when we follow Jesus. Before you can see the cross as something done for you, you have to see it as something done by you. And before you can look at the resurrection of our Lord, you have to look on his 
death at Calvary, before you can celebrate the, the riches of the eternal life that is ours to come, we have to approach with fear and trembling the place where He died. It's the extent to which we acknowledge our sin and the death of Jesus that we will appreciate the grace of God and the resurrection that we share in as His followers. All four of the Gospel narratives make a point to say that at the sixth hour, at 12 o'clock, when the sun is highest in the sky, that darkness fell on the land. A complete and, and utter darkness covered either all of Jerusalem or all of the world. And our Savior was, was there on the cross. And it was in these hours from 12 to 3 as He hung on the cross in, in total darkness that He said these seven last sayings that we're looking at tonight and we'll look at the next and final two now. But see Him in this total darkness hanging on the cross. It was in that moment the Scriptures say that, that there were earthquakes, that tombs were opened, that the dead rose and walked into the city. It was as if all of creation was coming apart at the scenes, just screaming out in anguish as its Creator was dying on the cross. But it was too late. Jesus' body was failing his lungs were collapsing. His body was sagging as his wrists and his feet had railroad tie-sized nails driven into them, holding him to the cross. It was in this moment as, as darkness covered the land that, that the Jews and, and the Romans realized what they had done. And it was a Roman centurion that said plainly, surely this man was the Son of God. And it says, knowing everything had now been finished so that Scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, it is finished. Now what was finished was the grand plan of redemption that the Father, Son, and Spirit had ordained before all of time, according to Ephesians 1. Before Adam and Eve in the garden, before Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, before Moses and Israel, before all the, the prophets and the Psalms, before all of that, God planned this grand redemption to come through His Son, Jesus Christ, through His death and resurrection. It was in this moment that, that all of human history focuses the most important event in anyone's life. Right here, Jesus says, it is finished. The payment was made. The, the wages of sin is death. And the penalty that fell, should have fallen on us, instead fell on our Lord. And he says, it is finished, which means there is nothing left to do. There is nothing left undone. There is nothing left that we add to his sacrifice. Nothing left that we have to do to, to prove ourselves, to, to earn our way into the family of God. Jesus says, it is finished. And in that moment, we are set free from our sins. Now, everybody wants freedom. And it's so hard to find in this world, we simply can't imagine, and it's not possible this side of eternity, that we could be completely accepted and loved just as we are. And so, in this life, we find ourselves defending ourselves. We find ourselves promoting ourselves, scheming and clawing, trying to get to the top. Even those who are closest to us, we try to present ourselves as well as we can. We can't imagine that we could simply be totally and completely free and accepted by God the Father. And this is what happened when Jesus gave his life for us. And he said, it is finished. 
See, true freedom, the forgiveness of our sins, our new life in Christ, it costs Jesus everything so that it costs us nothing. His sacrifice was complete. It was once for all. There's therefore nothing we can do to add to it. There's nothing we bring to it. And that means there is nothing we have to prove, nothing we have to lose. All we have to do is receive it. Just as death entered the world through the one man, Adam, so now life enters the world through the one man, the second Adam, Jesus Christ. One of my favorite hymns is called, Appropriately, It is Finished. Nothing either great or small, nothing can you claim. Jesus died and paid it all, only plead his name. It is finished, finished. What more could we ever do? Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in him and him alone, gloriously complete. Those moments later, with his dying breaths, we read in Luke 23, The curtain of the temple was torn in two, and Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. Now when it says he breathed his last, that's a a euphemism. You see, we do this all the time in in life, especially when we're talking about death. It's like we can't bring ourselves to say it, so we say that he passed away or she's in a better place now. Even the gospel writers who knew Jesus so intimately couldn't bring themselves to say Jesus died on the cross. It's so painful to imagine, especially knowing that it was our sins that put him there. We can barely wrap our minds around it. Now, many hours into a crucifixion, the Roman soldiers would come and they would break the legs of the one who was crucified so that they would fall and and, and suffocate more quickly. But they didn't have to do that with Jesus because he had died on his own. He, He gave up his own life. He would say that nobody could take it from him, but he would lay it down of his own accord. And so why does he say, into your hands I commit my spirit? When as Austin had said, there was not a point before this, in in all of his life, that Jesus had suffered separation from God. Perfect unity from before time began, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, this, this beautiful Trinitarian being that we can't possibly understand, but Jesus was in entire love every moment, every day. We can't even comprehend it. And yet in this moment, he loses. He loses communication with his Father. And he dies. Now these final words show us Jesus' willingness to die for us, that he was in charge of every moment of it. We see Jesus' profound trust in the Father. And by extension, we see that no matter what we are going through, that we can do the very same thing. We can entrust our spirits into the hands of our Father. No matter how bad it is, no matter how much you're struggling, you can entrust your life to the loving care of our Father. No matter your, your fears, no matter your struggles, no matter your, your hopes and dreams and desires, you can commit yourself fully to the loving care of our Father's hands. This was the darkest moment in history. The sun had stopped shining. The, the Son of Man was being taken down from the cross, laid into the grave. Into the depths He went. 
It says that the curtain was torn in two, that curtain that separated God from man in the place of worship. It was now torn completely so that there was no barrier between us and God. Now it's just a pile of cloth on the temple floor. It is finished. The payment has been made. And yet death still didn't have the final word. Out of darkness, as Isaiah promised, a light will shine. Into our sin, forgiveness is offered. Instead of forsakenness, God receives us as his own children. In all our striving and scheming and defending ourselves, God sets us free. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. The rest of that is for Sunday morning. For now, the the one thought for Friday night is this, that our sins put him there. That it was my sin, your sin, all the sins of the world that were laid upon the Savior, and he took them, and he carried them in our place, and he died and was buried.